All right, here it comes. Yep. That sounded good. Yeah, sounded good to me as well. All right. I think we're ready. Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers, an anime podcast. My name is Neve, and I'm joined here by Connor. Hey everyone. And so for the very beginning of this, we are going to be taking a look at Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. This is our second attempt at this, basically. We first tried to launch this podcast over a year ago, and a few things happened. I don't remember exactly everything about why we stopped. The big thing that happened was I had a baby. Um, so, yeah, why did you do that? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's really, it was just it was really frustrating. Yeah, it was just for a, me, for me personally. <laughs> listen, it happened. We can't change the past. Um, basically, I I was also like me trying to kind of figure out what is my actual time com- commitment going to look like. And for a while post baby, it was just like having the time to sit in my closet, which is where I record my podcasts for multiple hours. Just wasn't going to cut it with like a baby that did not sleep for more than a couple hours. And that like when the baby was sleeping, I should probably be sleeping. So then kind of after that, there was just this like long period of us trying to, I guess, start this back up. A lot of it being me, like, I mean, a pandemic happened in between. I think that's yeah. also part of what extended minor it. detail. Yeah. And the pandemic definitely provided more time to me once my baby was able to go back to daycare. So, I mean, this was like over a year ago that we tried to just start this podcast. And we actually started it then with Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex as well. So maybe we can get, like get into a little bit why we chose this i guess I know, I know it was one that you suggested so maybe you have thoughts here yeah i want let me just say like you know following on everything that you just said about the background of what we're doing here it it feels good to be back in towards the end of 2020 which has been obviously a very strange and somewhat dystopian year 
Yeah. Um, so it almost feels more fitting that we're doing Ghost in the Shell now than if we had done it in uh, 2018. Yeah, I mean, we we the we had recorded two episodes um, and tossed like. I was thinking about trying to edit it and we would pick it up and I like just barely started listening to it and multiple reasons why we tossed it out. One was just some audio issues. Also, I think that very first episode, like the first episode of any podcast I've heard from people is just never good. Um, you're always figuring out with your co-hosts, like what's the, what's the rhythm here that we have. And that's like really awkward for that first episode. Um, and so I, th- I think we discussed some good stuff, but I wasn't like sad to lose that episode. But I think also some of it is like Ghost in the Shell resonates differently in 2020 than it did, a, you know, a year and some months ago, both because not that police brutality was not occurring previously, but we, we definitely had this moment this earlier this year where that stuff got highlighted um, and pulled to the forefront in a way that I think even like the protests that were happening in Ferguson didn't quite reach this level of um, the entire nation really being a part of it. And like I'm coming, I mean, we both work for industrial supply companies. We don't have to go into more detail than that, but like I know my company reacted to this far differently than anything else. And I don't think that's unusual. I think like America as a whole has had to reckon with it a little bit more than it has previously. Um, And so the idea of recording a podcast that's about uh, super police who like are extrajudicial and also have lots of police brutality occur. Like I want to say different things about it now. At least a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there was a moment, and I'm sure we'll get around to it, like, in the course of, of this time around. But there's definitely a moment or several moments in as we go through the series where you just have to, like, pause and just allow, like, the the event to go, to go without comment. Because <laughs> some stuff, it's just like, okay, this really just speaks for itself. There's not much we can add here. This is just a really intense, like, moment of police brutality that will just, like, allow to sit, like, to stay, like, in place here. Yeah. But that's also a major, like, through line as well uh, and something that we're going to be talking about, I'm sure. Yeah, I think a a common thing with Ghost in the Shell standalone complex is its tendency to present things. Um, And I think my read on it is have the faith that the audience will be able to like look at this and judge it for themselves and come to a conclusion that is at odds with what characters seem to be arriving at, um, at least like on the surface level. And I think almost wants to call attention to, or like further horrify you with the way that some of this technology that's like truly frightening is approached as very commonplace. But I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it more when we like get into the episodes, but that's definitely... A, a common thing that arises with this show. Um, I think we could also just talk a little bit about, so we're recording this before we record the like entire, Hey, welcome to the podcast. Here's how everything works episode. But so some of that will already like probably talk a little bit about our history with anime. But I think also talking about ghost in the shell. Um, I don't know exactly where you stand, but for me, 
like Ghost in the Shell in general, and especially Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, were pretty um, like formative or important for me as someone becoming interested in anime, interested in talking about anime. And I, I think another thing that will come up a lot when we are doing this, like our discussion here, I'm, I'm really both with Ghost in the Shell and probably a lot of the anime we're talking about, I'm going to be talking about this like word queer resonance or this phrase queer resonance, which um, I want to like highlight in this moment as being distinct from queer representation. Do get some queer representation in Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, but I think especially when I was getting into anime, which was like when I was in high school, which if I do the math now is like what i guess mid like early to mid 2000s for me the like queerness i don't think was just talked about in the same way as it is today i see younger generations where being gay at school seems like it is less of a big deal than it was when i was growing up and especially I grew up in kind of, um, so the town that I was in when I was going to high school was like basically half suburban and half rural. Um, half of the kids lived in the, the quote unquote city, which was very suburban. That's where I lived, but kind of on the outskirts. And then like half of the kids in the school lived in the rural area surrounding, which included like farms and things like that. Um, and it was a very like macho football is king and so the room for queerness in that space just didn't exist. It was this Midwestern mentality of like, it's almost this like, don't ask, don't tell approach where queerness existed, but you never talked about it. It, it was kind of okay to have some of the markers of queerness sometimes, as long as you did not name it or make it explicit. And from like growing up within that framework, a lot of uh, what I think today would be called queer baiting that existed in anime at that time actually very deeply resonated with what it meant to be a queer person who could express queerness in certain ways as long as you still maintained not even necessarily the closet, but the illusion of the closet. And, you know, I... When we talk about stuff like Magic Knight Ray Earth, which is coming up later, I think we'll we'll get into some of that a little bit more. But one thing that was very important for me, I think, was the way that Ghost in the Shell actually named it. Or they didn't necessarily say, like, the major is, like, a lesbian or a bisexual. But they show her in bed, like, half-naked with two friends in a polycule, basically. And... There was also then just this deeper, like one, there was just this level of like, oh, there's like actual, like kind of explicit reference to sexuality happening here. But also I think all of the Ghost in the Shell series has this trans resonance specifically about what it means to inhabit a body, what it means to have bodies that can change, being able to inhabit different bodies or change the body that you have, um, and the way that that affects your relationship between like this concept of a self or a mind or like Ghost in the Shell uses ghost, and then the like body or shell. And at the time that I was watching Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, I did not know that I was trans. And so this was not a thing I was actively thinking about while I was watching it. But I think it was part of what really drew me to the series. 
And uh, I'll probably talk about this more as we like get into the episodes. But I, I think also when you look at Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, uh, there's different like readings of the major as a trans character. And if you look at the movies, really, it is like I think the first movie in particular can be read as or resonates with this idea of having body dysphoria. The major in the movie is like very at odds with I have this body, but also this body is not entirely mine. I have this like sense of self that seems to extend beyond my body or that is like something else. And so there's a lot in that that resonates specifically with that feeling of like having that dysphoria. And from that perspective, it's like wanting to leave the body. Whereas I think within standalone complex, and it's like one of the things that in retrospect hits me really hard with this series and why I loved the show so much, especially compared to, I mean, I love the movie too, but like the show was always my favorite version of Ghost in the Shell. And I think it's actually because what you see in Ghost in the Shell is the major having, like getting a different body than the one that she was born into and in various ways, like reaffirming that that body is the correct body for her. And so from that perspective, it is not like the major is a character who's experiencing gender dysphoria or like bodily dysphoria. I see the major as someone feeling euphoria, the other end of that spectrum of saying like, yes, I could have a male chassis if I wanted. I could like do this one. They would have, you know, would be able to have stronger muscles because of whatever. Um, I'm not sure I buy that a female chassis could not have stronger muscles, but like within the rules of the show um which like operates from this perspective that sexism still exists in society that's at least the like understanding but that she's still like no but this is like my body so i'll talk about it more when there's like specific keys coming up but i that's a big reason why ghost in the shell was like this is one of the first ones that i need to talk about plus it was also i think just one of the first animes that you and i like discussed at length possibly because we were doing a tabletop role-playing game set in a cyberpunk setting. And of course, me GMing that campaign, I was drawing often from Ghost in the Shell, as well as to some extent Evangelion. Those are like two big pulls for me. So yeah, maybe you would talk a little bit more about like your relationship to Ghost in the Shell, uh, the series and the show, and why this is also... Like when we were talking about it, it seemed like one that you also really felt like, oh, yeah, this is like a good one for us to start a podcast talking about. Yeah, you um, you really gave me a great segue there because I think Ghost in the Shell for me, um, well, first of all, like it, I think it has a lot of significance for our friendship because when we were first starting to get to know each other and get close I think this is one of the first anime that you recommended to me, like, hey, you should watch this. And at the time, I mean, I, I was a fan of anime and have been, but back then, like, not so much as now. And I think my, like, relationship with the anime has gone through a pretty, like, typical arc in a lot of ways. Um, like, starting with, like, oh, you know, I saw this on Adult Swim, like, Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> and then, like, you know, okay, so I watched Cowboy Bebop. And then, you know, some of the other, like, major ones, um, Samurai Shampoo and, like, 
in others. And then uh, a couple years later, I watched Evangelion, uh, which kind of got me thinking more about like, okay, this this medium has, um, and this is not to like diss Cowboy Bebop at all, but watching Ava like changed my perspective on on anime considerably, um, and really got me more interested in it. Um, and then when you suggested Ghost in the Shell, I think I had seen the movie like a couple years prior. And it never really like struck me, but then when I started watching this one, uh, it it immediately like grabbed my attention for a lot of different reasons, which we'll like you know get into, I'm sure. But I think there's just it's just an incredibly rich series uh, that sets up a lot of themes and develops them in subtle ways. And of course, like the animation is is incredible as well. Technically, it's really uh, impressive anime, but I think just like the scope of it and the subtlety is a really unique combination of elements, and uh, we've been talking about it since. So, yeah, I think uh, I remember um, last time we did this, I was just surprised at. Um, of course, we always do some preparation, but like when you actually start talking about it the richness of of this series it just seems to like propel you and uh so so for that reason i think like or all of those reasons i think it's a really good like starting point for us yeah so in addition to discussing the episodes we are also going to be sometimes bringing in some of uh the film theory literary theory political theory blah 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 that we've come across so i'm going to mention some of the work cited here you can also find uh, the full list in the description for this episode and also will get reiterated for the relevant episodes when they come up. I think this is roughly in the order of when we cited things, but I, I could be slightly off here. So I, I think the first piece that I cited was Ghost in the Shell, The Major's Body by Claire Napier. This is available online so you can read both the specific essay which was number three that related to ghost in the shell standalone complex but i'm also going to link to the full series just in case you you want to read thoughts on other versions of ghost in the shell i also get into this whole thing where i'm talking about benjamin and bazen and this idea of the death of the aura and the work of art in the age of its technological reproducibility which of course has as its heart walter benjamin's essay the work of art in the age of its technological reproducibility. I'm linking to a version that I found online that is the first version of it, but there have been multiple versions from Benjamin. So whatever version you want to read, I don't get that deep into it. So it, it, the main ideas still apply. I'm also tying this in with Bazen, using in particular the essay Beyond the Image in Benjamin and Bazen, The Aura of the Event, by Monica Delasta. This was published in the book Opening Bazen. That's how I first read it and where I initially kind of made these connections between these two writers, uh, both of which I did read independently. When it comes to Andre Bazen, I first actually quote from The Entomology of the Pinup Girl, which appears in What is Cinema Volume 2. Later on, I'll also talk about The Ontology of the Photographic Image by Andre Bazen. That's in volume one of What is Cinema, and that is the one that is most directly in conversation 
at least can be read as being in conversation. There, there's not fully concrete evidence, but it is related to the same concepts, at least, that Walter Benjamin was talking about. Later on, uh, I will say uh, The Ghost of the Machine by Arthur Kessler, published in 1967. A key reference for Ghost in the Shell Media, uh, fundamentally, and the, the namesake uh, for the series. I will also quote a little bit from Sina I by Ziga Vertov. I also refer to some of Ziga Vertov's theories of montage elsewhere, but I, I think this, if you're going to read one text from Vertov for this podcast, this is the one I would recommend because it's the, the one that's tying in the most directly. And uh, I wrap things up by discussing The Political Unconscious by Frederick Jameson, published in 1983. And uh, that provides a, a key gloss for helping us understand on my view, at least, some of the some of the final events and discussions in Standalone Complex. So join us next week. Editor's note, I meant to say in two weeks, not next week. This is a bi-weekly podcast. I was just incredibly tired because this is at the end of a four and a half hour recording session. Where we will talk about episodes one through six of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. So if you're watching along at home, that's where we will we will you know pick up um you can write into the podcast at ghostdiverspod at gmail.com thanks as always to export audio network uh, you can go to exportaud.io or patreon.com slash export audio to find other podcasts on the network and donate you know sign up to support the the network as a whole you can follow me at foxmomnia you can follow me at Rebelace, R-A-B-B-L-E-A-S. And you can follow the podcast at Ghost Divers Pod. And then also, again, there's going to be some like end of the episode music here. Stick around if you want to listen to the content warnings. I'm just going to run through a, a few of the things to be aware of as you're going into this series. If that's something that you you know, uh, once you look into, you, you want to be aware of it as you start watching this show. She's so cold and human. It's something humans do. She stays so golden and solo. She's so number nine. She's incredible math. Just incredible math. And is she really human? She's just So for content warnings, I think the biggest one here is just gore, especially head trauma, violence in general, especially state violence. There's a lot of, you know, guns and military equipment and things like that. There are a few references to suicide. The two biggest instances where there are some brief depictions of it 
or at least implied suicide, are in episode 3 and episode 22. In terms of the biggest episode, for just like content warnings all over it, that is episode 10. There's a lot of torture, violence against women, elements of the creation of snuff film and the spreading of snuff film, hacking of a body to record its view during this. It's a pretty difficult episode to watch, and we try to... We talk about it some, but we try to elide over a lot of it, and we, we don't dwell on it. So hopefully if you're listening to the podcast, it none of it is... You know, we don't go into detail about what happens, but the episode definitely gets graphic. So I want to put a big warning on that, and if you want to just straight up skip episode 10, I don't blame you, and you're going to still be able to watch the rest of the show and follow along with the podcast, and it's fine. One of the other big things I want to call out is in episode 22, there is also some references or suggestion of sexual harassment or abuse or possibly even rape that occur, especially within a medical context. I'm also just going to quick call out a few other things that are, are like come up a little bit that we don't get too much into onto the podcast, but that might be a thing that could stand out or affect someone. Some of it is there are a lot of references to dyadism. There's a lot of sexual content of like not, I don't think we really see explicit nudity, but there is a lot of uh, partial nudity and things like that. There's some referencing references to cloning. Uh, there is some ableism. And in particular, there's an episode that I think is investigating it and, and not just completely unthinkingly dealing with, but that that does address disabilities within a institution and the way that disabilities are, you know, treated within ableist institutions. Do you remember what episode that is, Connor? That is the um, Batu and Zaitsev episode, right? So a little bit of that comes up. The one I'm thinking about is Togusa. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, episode yeah. 11. Uh, so some of that shows up in episode 11. Um, again, we don't talk about it at length, but it's it's sort of brought up. I, I think the one other thing is there are scenes, especially around gunfire, where there's some like rapid flashing, sudden loud noises. It's not super extensive, but, you know... If you are someone who suffers from epileptic seizures, it might also be something just to be aware of and investigate further as you're going into the series, because I'm not fully aware of like where that line is and that I know that line can also vary for people. So there might be resources you can find online that would go into it a little bit more or at least prepare you a little bit more for what some of those scenes might be like. I think that's it, unless you can think of anything, Connor. Yeah, that I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, although disability does come up in the Batozaitsev episode, it's not really, it's not really a big part of what is discussed. 